what's going on everybody and welcome to the first and foremost sports podcast back at it again episode 29 i'm jimmy covington i am the one and only quentin douglas we back at it again quentin how you been man and i'm doing pretty good my guy how you doing chilling got to get them wisdom teeth knocked out tomorrow morning so you know I wish you out of luck with that. Got be eating a lot of pudding and jello. Man, a little soup. I'm to slide to Panera Bread. Get a little yogurt. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that soup be slapping though. It do. It do. Man, we got a nice show for y'all today. I'm going to go ahead and get to it. Quentin, it was some week three of the SEC schedule. Uh, it was some interesting games. Uh, a couple, uh, you know, a couple upsets. You know, some high scoring games. So, Quinn, give me your top two takeaways from week three of the SEC season. Yes, sir. So, as always, good SEC football this past weekend, good high-quality football. So, I mean, first, you know, I got to go to the obvious. We got to pump the brakes on Florida. Uh, I thought they were looking like a legit national championship contender, which, I mean, they still are. It's just one game. I'm not overreacting. My heart. Uh, but they definitely showed some chinks in their armor. Uh, you know, they got some they got some flaws, which I told you that D line from week one has been an issue for y'all. Uh, but I mean Isaiah Spiller from Texas A and M went for twenty seven carries, hundred and seventy four yards, two touchdowns, and averaged six yards a carry. And Kellen Munn, who's been the epitome of an up and down roller coaster, had 338 passing yards and three touchdowns. And that D line couldn't get any pressure. Y'all had any, like zero sacks. So, I mean, he was pretty much just able to do whatever he wanted to, uh, to y'all offensively, especially with the run game working. Um, and, you know, with y'all being the, the team y'all are now, y'all are going to get everyone's best shot because Texas A&M hasn't been playing the best football this year. But Saturday was the first complete and best game that they played by far. But, like I said, I'm not counting y'all out yet. Y'all definitely going to bounce back. I don't know. Um, of course, this LSU game y'all were supposed to have uh, this weekend has been postponed. But Kyle Trask is still in the Heisman race. Kyle Pitts was contained for the first time this season. He only had five receptions, 47 yards. Uh, but he still, yeah, he still had a touchdown. But, I mean, he's still easily the best tight end in college football. And my second takeaway, I had high hopes for Tennessee's offensive line, and they failed their first test. Of course – our offensive line has been talked about. We got four five-star recruits along the offensive line, including a sixth-year starter at center. Uh, and they allowed five sacks to Georgia on Saturday. I mean, it was just nothing they could do with them. Georgia was just way too athletic up front. Um, they ran a lot of nickel packages. They disguised their blitzes really well. So. I mean, Tennessee, they just really couldn't do anything with them. And Georgia has an elite sophomore pass rusher by the name of Aziz Ojolari, who had two sacks Saturday. Uh, and, I mean, he pretty much just ab abused Wanye Morris, our star left tackle, 
all game. Uh, and our running game, we had no running lanes whatsoever. Uh, Todd, Todd Chandler and Eric Gray only combined for 16 carries for 36 yards. Um, so that that's pretty pathetic. So I, we got some good linemen, no doubt, but Georgia definitely exposed them up front Saturday. So those were my two biggest takeaways from Saturday. What did you see? And well, on my first one here, I'm going in the same direction you're going on, but my take is a little different. My top takeaway is that this is the worst Gators defense that I've ever seen. <laughs> and uh, keep in mind, I started watching sports around 2006. So, you know, I, I caught Florida when they won their first national championship with Chris Leak at quarterback. And pretty much then, the defense, even though the offense, you know, in previous years has fallen behind, defense has always remained good. Oh, yeah. At the very least, good to borderline, good to elite, the defense has always been. Uh, so, you know, they're allowing 33 points a game this year, uh, 100 points in four games, in three games they've allowed. They're allowing 29 first downs a game, over 160 rush yards, and over 330 pass yards a game. It's just ridiculous. They're averaging over, allowing over 6.3 yards to play. They only they get three sacks a game, which is okay. I mean, you know, it's not not anywhere and it's not anything spectacular, but you know, I guess it'll get the job done. But my my thing is we're not taking the ball away. As a Florida fan, they're not taking the ball away. They only have three turn total turnovers. And they have a lot of talented defensive backs, you know. Marco Wilson, Kyer Elam, you know, and you got a bunch of other guys, you know, uh Trey Dean. <laughs> You know, it's a lot. It's a lot of guys, and we even got some Sean Davis, and we got a couple of Brad Stewart. You know, we got some talented cornerbacks and some talented safeties, but they're not putting it together. I've seen a lot of poor tackling. I've seen a lot of blown coverages, especially last game. Uh, I don't remember what number receiver it was for Texas a and but he was he was eating Marco Wilson alive. <laughs> and you know, last year, you know, alongside C.J. Henderson, Marco Wilson was looking like you know he's the next. He's next in line to be a first-round pick at corner, but he looked terrible Sunday. I mean, not Sunday, excuse me, Saturday. He looked absolutely – ready for Sundays yet. <laughs> he looked absolutely terrible. And I think, you know, like you mentioned, you know, the defensive line, you were right about that. You know, in years past, Florida has had at least one dominant defender, and usually, that's usually, you know, in the back end or on the defensive line, and they don't have either of those right now. You know, and the three best pass rushers on the team are Zachary Carter, Brian Cox Jr. and Jeremiah Moon. They only have a combined two and a half sacks in three games. That's not going to get it done. You got three long rangey, you know, outside linebacker defensive end type. You know, you expect them to get after the passer. Those are all veteran guys, you know, with the exception of Brian Cox. You expect them to get after it and make plays, and it's just it's not what they've done. Uh, and same thing with the DBs. You know, Sean Davis is a senior. You know, he hasn't made really any plays. Marco Wilson is a veteran. He hasn't made many plays. Kyer Elam, I think he's our best corner. He's a true sophomore. You know, he really hasn't made any plays either. So, you know, like, they got to – if they want to compete for a national championship, they got to step it up. And so far, I mean, I'm not seeing it. You know, you know, and, you know, the lack of practice time and the lack of hitting, I'm, I'm sure that's contributed to it, uh, you know. But at the same time, though, like, blown coverages, you know, you just can't have it. Guys are going wide open. I can, If you just get beat deep, you just get beat. I understand that. But guys getting nine, ten yards of separation when we all have – you know, their defense is full of athletes. There's no reason for that. 
You know, and I think Todd Grantham is going to have to find, you know, one pass rush is going to have to emerge. There's usually, we got to have, last year, we had Jonathan Renard, who was one of the best pass rushers in the SEC. We also had Jabari Zuniga, who got drafted in the third round. So, you know, they had guys that could get consistent pressure, and we don't have that guy right now. That guy has to emerge if they want to compete for the national championship. You know, Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts have been great this year, but you don't want to have to continue to put up 40, 40, 45 points a game in one game. It's not gonna happen. What if you? What if your offense have a, has an off day? <laughs> You're gonna yeah. lose again. And if you lose any, if you lose again. You know, between now and you know playoff time, it's a wrap. I mean, let's just tell it like it is. It's gonna be a wrap. So you know, like I said, that's the worst Gator defense I've ever seen so far. Hopefully, they can turn it around next game when they play LSU. But LSU is a high line. LSU's been able to put up points this year too. So I, you know, hopefully Todd Grantham can get things turned around. Oh, and that game got postponed too, I think. Yep, to I want to say December, I think. Mm, like December 12th. December 12th. Yeah. Now, Man, my second takeaway. It's been bad too. Yeah. Definitely. They lost to Mizzou. It's a shame. We didn't even bring that up. Mm-hmm. And that you was- know, the sad part is their offense hasn't even been much worse than their offense last year. I mean, Miles Brennan had like 400 passing yards Saturday, and they still lost. <laughs> That's crazy. But my second takeaway is the SEC is starting to look like the Big 12 a little bit. <laughs> and it's something, that's something I've always dreaded. Uh, if you know me, you know I have a lot of hatred in my heart for the way the Big 12 plays. I don't like that no defense thing. It bothers me. It makes me itch. I don't like that. I like to see some defense. You know, I don't want the score to be nine to six. I don't want to see that. But I don't want to see 50 points a game either on both sides. And that's, that's absolutely atrocious. But listen, I got some numbers here for you and some, you know, I got some some points for you. Four of the top five passing offenses nationally are in the SEC. And four of the bottom 12. Probably Bama, Florida. Florida. Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Out. Yep, yep, yep. Four. Now listen to this one. Four of the bottom twelve defenses in the country are in the SEC. Yeah, that's something you. Ask the defenses too. Four of the bottom twelve defenses. Who total defense. Probably LSU, Ole Miss, <laughs> maybe Florida, of course, and Alabama. Oh yeah, Bama. Bama defense has been bad this year. It's, listen, teams are passing the ball nearly fifty-eight percent of the time, so it's no longer they run the ball forty times a game. That's not happening. They're slinging it around, and which I understand. You know, football has evolved offensively. It's a lot more offensive creativity, and I think also it's a lot lack of practice time. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, it's less tackling, so you're not really used to hitting, just pushing guys on the ground. I've seen a lot of bad angles. I've seen a lot, a lot of you know blown coverages, and it's something you don't see yeah, from. It's something you don't see from your typical uh, SEC defenses like Florida and Alabama. You know, LSU is usually you know good to great, and you know Mississippi State usually has a, a good defense as well. You know, and it's just not happening this year. You know, if you want to look at some of the big teams across the SEC. Teams are averaging 30, you know, average, the average team is averaging 30 points a game in the SEC. I don't, I don't recall a time where this ever happened. And one thing, another statistic I have for you, two teams in the SEC are in the bottom 11 in total defense. 
Florida has the fifth. Florida has the fifth worst, fifth worst total defense, and Alabama has the eleventh worst total defense. And like, it's just something you don't see. And Listen, they're supposed to be two of the best teams. <laughs> come on now, Alabama has allowed forty-two, at least forty-two points in three of their last eight games. You want to know how many times they did that pre in the previous sixty-five games? Three times. Three times. You so think maybe, maybe a factor that could be playing into that is now that these teams like Florida and Bama aren't running the ball 40 times a game and keeping time of possession uh, at least like 60% of the time, putting their defense out there on the field over and over again like that is just putting them in position to be tired and have mistakes and blown coverages like that. And Absolutely. I think that's why we're seeing the increase in points. Absolutely. And also, I think one one rule that's, you know, hurting football more, college football more than people like to think about is the targeting rule. Oh, yeah. It's, oh, yeah. it's absolutely terrible. Like, I understand if a guy blatantly just tries to hit somebody in the head, okay, I understand. But, you know, you're going 15 miles an hour trying to make a tackle, and the guy lowers, you know, tries to drop down. How can you – prevent yourself from hitting them in the head. It's just going to happen. It's football. So, yeah. that, you know, guys not being able to hit like they want to, that, I think that's also contributed to it because, you know, you got more receivers than ever growing across the middle with no fear of really being hit. And I think that definitely plays a part in it as well. And, I, and one more thing I want to mention, uh, Ole Miss is allowing the touchdown every 10.4 snaps. So every 10 snaps Ole Miss is – the defense is relying the touchdown every 10 snaps. <laughs> and if you want to think about it, I'm I want to say uh, Ole Miss. <laughs> exactly. Five, six years ago, I remember when Ole Miss had Bo Nix and those Laquan Treadwell and those guys, you know, they had the Lance Sharp defense. That was only five, six years ago. <laughs> they had Robert Kim Dietschy. You know, that was only five, six years ago. So, like, what has happened since then? It's like they don't even recruit defensive players anymore. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a, a glaring lack of talent on Ole Miss' defense. Now, you know, Alabama and Florida doesn't – they don't have that – they don't have that excuse. They have – they get the premier talent year in and year out. They Texas got A&M. third and fourth stringers that's four or five stars. They won't see the field for two or three years. Like, it, there is no excuse for them to be playing that poorly. I don't understand. Uh, but it's, that's definitely been alarming. Uh, you know, and also, one more thing. Florida has a lot, 540 total yards twice since 2015. They have both come in the last three weeks. Man, yeah, I told you. That Florida defense bad. I just – I don't know. Just defense in the SEC in general has been terrible. And if you even want to look at LSU – last damn Mullen effect on y'all. <laughs> if you want to look at last year, I mean, like LSU's defense last year wasn't great, but they made plays when needed. They took the ball away when needed. You know, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these teams aren't even taking the ball away. Nope. You know, and you know, I think I mean, again that goes back to execution on defense. And if you're gonna give up a lot of yards, you know, you at least need to take the ball away some. You know, exactly. limit them, limit the amount of possessions. But SEC defenses aren't even doing that. The only one, the only defense that's ranked in the top 18 in uh, in points per possession is Georgia. <laughs> that's it. And they didn't play with Tennessee, Arkansas, and Auburn. 
So, I mean, like, you know, Auburn can put up points. So, they haven't played the greatest team. Auburn, yeah, I mean, even Auburn struggled with Arkansas this past week. Exactly. So, you know, it's I, I don't know what's going on. I, this is not the SEC I'm used to. And like I said, it bothers me. It makes my skin itch. It's upsetting me and my homeboys. I do not like this. Oh, and look, Mississippi State, they, yeah, they didn't completely flamed out. <laughs> they they just about got blanked last week. KJ Costello threw about four picks. <laughs> they almost got blanked last week. I was and like, wow. Kentucky. <laughs> wow. I, I was wasn't like, wow. surprised. Kentucky, they, they may not have the skilled players, but in the trenches, they got some dudes. They got some big dudes. No, and that's usually the difference. That's usually the difference between, you know, Alabama and, like, you know, teams like Arkansas. The trenches is typically the difference. It's it's talented, skilled players all over the country, but the trenches is where – I mean, that separates – That's where it starts. It separates – that's what separates power five from group of five teams. It's the trenches. People don't understand how important it is to be dominant in the trenches on both sides. Exactly. Man. But enough college talk until next show. We're going to move move along to the NFL. The NFL is in week five. Even after, you know, several COVID tests by numerous teams, they were able to get those games played. Uh, so, Quinn, give me your top two takeaways from week five of the NFL. Man, the Tennessee Titans are messing around. Um, they, of course, blew out the Bills yesterday, even after having like two and a half weeks off. Because, of course, they were the first NFL team to have a COVID outbreak. But, I mean, you couldn't tell. They missed a beat. They forced three turnovers. Um, I mean, Josh Allen was looking like an MVP candidate up until yesterday. Um, They iced the game in the fourth quarter. They stuck to the formula. They had an 11-play drive, gave Derrick Henry the ball seven times. Of course, he iced it off with a touchdown. Um, and then they forced a fumble on the following kickoff to really completely put the game away. Um, and Ryan Tannehill got a lot of criticism for getting paid this offseason, but he had four touchdowns, and this season he's been he's been balling. Uh, he he definitely hasn't he's he's lived up to that contract so far. Uh, so I definitely have to give him his props. And another thing, the Titans. When they get in the red zone this year, they score touchdowns 83% of the time. That's that's a ridiculous rate. And, I mean, you got Derrick Henry. So, I mean, what more do you need? Uh, and, I mean, you have to give Arthur Smith credit, too. I told you about him early in the year. Uh, but his play calling for this team has been nearly flawless this year. Uh, so, definitely hats out to the Titans. And then my second point, New Orleans has to be concerned. Uh, New Orleans has been about as big of a mixed bag as you can have so far this year. Um, of course, they, they've lost to teams like the Raiders. Uh, they beat the Bucks, And then, of course, this week they, they snuck out a slim win over the Chargers, who, are court, of course, are starting rookie quarterback Justin Herbert. Uh, and mind you, this game, Keenan Allen went out in the first half with the injury. And, I mean, the Chargers offense didn't miss a beat. Whatever the case may be with the Saints secondary, 
Uh, they've been giving up deep balls to everybody all season. Uh, I mean, <laughs> we're not going to talk about that. Uh, we not asked for no big time money. <laughs> Man, he was getting toasted. <laughs> but him, uh, Malcolm Jenkins, PJ Williams, uh, who else they got? Chancey Gardner Johnson. I mean that that entire secondary has just been bad this year. Uh whether that's miscommunication or the scheme, uh they just haven't clicked at all. And then of course the offense without Michael Thomas, you know, they've also been a mixed bag. Emmanuel Sanders had his first impact really uh in the game as a New Orleans Saint. Uh Alvin Kamara struggled a little bit, but of course, they still were able to get out the win. But like I said, they have to be concerned. Luckily, they do have a bye week this week. Um, they're expecting to get Michael Thomas back after the bye week. But even he, of course, punched a teammate over the week. <laughs> it, was, it was Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Yeah, punched. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, even he had to serve a game suspension for that. So, if – if they're expecting to make a deep playoff run, it's going to start with what kind of team they come out as after this bye week. That's going to make or break this season, in my opinion. Man, you made some excellent points. And we have the same, you know, first point. You know, mine is the Titans are for real. In case, you know, you don't know, in case you haven't seen, uh, they thrashed the undefeated Buffalo Bills 40-16. to 16. And think about it, they've only practiced three times in the last 16 days. And they were missing 12 players last night, including one of their starting wide receivers. Uh, the defense looked spectacular, uh, forced three turnovers, gave up less than five and a half yards of play. Oh, but one thing I thought was kind of weird, you know, the Bills were 13 of 17 on third down. So normally when, when you're that good on third down, the yeah, that was a little weird. When you're that good on third down, usually, you know, you you're going to put up some points when you're that good on third down, or, you know, you're not going to get beat 40 to 16. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, coming into this game, the Buffalo Bills averaged uh, nearly 31 points a game and almost 410 total yards. Uh, Tennessee. Oh, well. oh, my bad, my bad. Oh, yeah. You can go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I think it was a 12-point game until there was like four minutes left, and then the Bills fumbled. And the tight no, the Titans scored. The Bills fumbled, and the Titans scored again, and that's what made it a blowout. <laughs> you know, man, coming into the, you know, like I said, the, the defense, you know, looked. The Titans just looked more physical than the Bills did. Mm, yeah, oh, the yeah. Bills kind of looked like you know Josh Allen looked like the old Josh Allen. <clears throat> he was just throwing the ball any everywhere, <laughs> which is which is evidenced by his two interceptions yesterday. Uh, the defense, Titans defense coming into this game hadn't really been playing well. They were giving up almost 25 points a game. And like I said, they held the Buffalo Bills to 16. You know, the Bills offense got some firepower behind it. You know, Josh Allen, you got Devin Singletary in the backfield, Stephon Diggs, John Brown, Cole Beasley. You got, you know, Dawson Knox at tight end. So they got some some great players, you know, in their offense. And they've been humming. The offensive line is pretty good, too. They've been humming. But. To only score 16 points, you know, that's – the Titans, they balled out yesterday. And, and you know, the like, Bills, 
the Bills defense has been a liability this year too. Yes, and it's been the strength of the team the previous couple of years. Uh, but the Titans' offense, you know, averaging 27 points a game, uh, almost 400 total yards, you know what they are. You know, they run behind Derrick Henry, and, you know, Ron Tannehill is efficient, and he hits you with the play action to A.J. Brown or Janu Smith or Corey Davis. That's, that's what they are. And they've been very successful with that style. You know, mm. last year in the playoffs, they beat New England. They beat Baltimore, and they were up double digits on Kansas City. So, you know, the Titans are a real team, and they're a force to be reckoned with. So, you know, if you haven't been respecting them, now is the time because, you know, they can beat anybody on any Sunday. So, you know, expect them to be in the playoffs and expect them to make some noise once again, uh, barring injuries and COVID. Expect them to make some noise again. All right. And my, sec- and my second takeaway – the Oakland Raiders are real. I mean, I keep saying Oakland. I'm sorry. The Las, <laughs> I'm so used to it. The Las Vegas Raiders are a real team. You know, coming off the uh, coming off a loss, they were two and two coming into this game. They beat KC 40-32 in Arrowhead Stadium, and that's not an easy thing to do. Uh, fans or no fans, the defense didn't play well. Of course, the defense, you know, their, their defense isn't good. Uh, you know, Oakland's defense. Uh, <laughs> Oakland. Las Vegas defense gave up over 400 yards and 32 points to KC. Uh, I mean, you expect Patrick Mahomes, you know, and company to put up points, which they did. Uh, but the offense, they played a ball-controlling, efficient game. You know, Derek Carr had 347 passing yards. You know, they had 144 rush yards as a team. They were 50% on third down, averaged seven yards to play. They were perfect in the red zone. My thing, but my thing was time of possession. They led the time of possession 35 minutes to 24 minutes, and they only allowed one sack. And you know, KC has some good pass rushers in Frank Clark, and you know, on the interior, Chris Jones. So, you know, only allowing one sack is a good thing, but the Raiders do have one of the better offensive lines in the league, so it really doesn't come as a surprise. You know, when you, you know, when you're playing Kansas City, you got to keep Mahomes off the field. But not only that, you also have to score points because we all know that he, they can score touchdowns in a heartbeat. So, you know, just keeping them off the field isn't enough. And like I said, you know, with the way Oakland and John Gruden likes to play football, you know, they like to run the ball. It's evidenced by the number of attempts they had. They had 35 rush attempts. You know, Josh Jacobs, uh, you know, he's a grinder. You know, he's a, he's a talented young back, you know. Some games he'll give you 130 yards, and sometimes he'll have 20 carries for, for 60 yards. Uh, but he's going to give you a couple touchdowns in there, you know. It's all about controlling the clock for Las Vegas. And, like, Derek Carr, uh, he played some big-time ball. He had three completions of over 40 yards, including a 70-yarder uh, to Henry Ruggs. So, you know, Derek Carr balled up, had a QBR of 92. So, like I said, he balled out yesterday. Uh, you know, you can't ask for much more from Derek Carr. You know, he's not going to pass the 300 yards a game. You know, you can't expect that from him. But you can, you know, if you can get about 275 from them, you can get about 130 yards on the ground as a team. You know, they they're gonna be they gonna they're gonna be a good team. You know, if the defense can, you know, get it together a little bit, uh, get a little healthy, you know, make a few plays, a few more plays here and there. You know, I, you know, I like Oakland. They're a real team. I think they could be a wild card team, especially with Denver. You know, with Drew Lock getting hurt, and, you know, Cortland Sutton. So I, you know, I think I could see them being a wild card team for real. Yeah, I agree with you, bro. And I think Oakland has kind of for the past few years given Kansas City some problems, but 
them and, and I mean even in the Super Bowl when we play Kansas City, uh, I think we see that when a defense, if you can get pressure on Patrick Mahomes without bringing extra blitzers, and you can have as many defensive backs and coverage as possible, uh, I think it can throw that offense off. Because I mean, even the Raiders got three sacks on Sunday. And I mean, even though the Chiefs put up 32 points, I mean, still getting some pressure. Those times you do need those timely stops. Uh, those those can be pretty big. So And Patrick Mahomes still passed for over 300 yards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They only second yeah. him three times, but they also had a lot of pressures in the game too. You know, exactly. one thing I noticed, you know, you know, you don't always have to get sacks. You know, a lot of times pressure, you know, if you get, can get a lot of – generate a lot of pressure, they usually can affect quarterbacks. And, and that doesn't matter who – what quarterback is playing. Because he was what? He was also like 22 or 43. Yeah, so, so that's I mean, not him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, it definitely, it can mess up timing and rhythm on, on plays. Definitely. And it, it is a way to beat KC. They are not unbeatable. No doubt about that. Well, Quinn, uh, we're sticking with the NFL here and some sad news. Uh, many of you, I'm sure, were watching the Dallas Cowboys versus, you know, the New York Giants in the third quarter. Uh, Dak Prescott, you know, had a nice big run, uh, chopped the stiff arm of defender, and the defender fell and uh, put his weight on Dak Prescott's ankle. And Dak Prescott suffered an ugly ankle injury. Uh, it was a compound fracture, and he dislocated his right ankle. Uh, in the third quarter of that game, he has a four to six month expected recovery. Uh, he had successful surgery Sunday, uh, you know, and the road to recovery is, is, is fine. It's going to be good. Uh, but Quentin, you know, you got to discuss the, that Dak's future with the Dallas Cowboys. You know, you, I'm going I'm to give courtesy. I know you probably have some better points on this one since Dallas is your team. So I'm going to let you go first. Uh, I will say, uh, I was like, you know, when I first saw it, I was like, ah. The first thing I thought about was his contract situation. As You know, I texted you and told you about that as soon as it happened. Mm -hmm. You know, it's no secret, you know, the Dallas Cowboys and Dak Prescott, you know, they had some contract contract disputes, you know, going into, you know, training camp. You know, you know, he was on a – he's on a – signed an exclusive franchise tag this year that was paying him, you know, a fully guaranteed $31 million. But beyond that, you know, he's not under contract after this season. So, you know, I want to take it back to July 15th. Um, the final offer the Cowboys offered Dak Prescott was a five-year deal in the neighborhood of the $35 million a year range. It was $110 million in guarantees, and uh, $50 million of that was a signing bonus. And he was supposed to make $70 million in the first two years of that contract. Dak Prescott was cool with the deal. He just wanted less years. He wanted four years. And the Cowboys weren't willing to give him that. Uh, so you know, that's where the divide went, and he ended up signing the franchise tag. They weren't able to get a deal done. Uh, but I think one thing that was encouraging, well, you know, sounds encouraging, uh, Stephen Jones called Dak uh, the few, our future uh, on the Monday inter radio interview show. And uh, Jerry Jones pretty much iterated this statement. Uh, but, you know, the NFL is a business, and, you know, you really can't trust any of what these owners and GMs say. Because the internet, they're gonna they're gonna do what they think is best for the team, and they, yeah. if they just, if they decide to tag this Prescott for another year, he'll make thirty seven and a half million dollars next year. So I don't know if they I don't think they want to pay him that much next year. 
So they're gonna have to try to get a deal done. You know, I think it, I think all hell will break loose if they don't resign that Prescott because, you know, he bet on himself and he got injured, which is what you know. Usually when that happens, you know, that's right. It plays right into the owners and the GM's hands because they need, you know they gonna try to lowball you and not pay you as much because then you're considered an injury risk when Dak Prescott has been the model of health. He's on. I think he's only been on the injury report like once that mm-hmm. I can remember. Uh, but you know. Dak has been a productive quarterback for the Cowboys. Uh, as a as a starter, he's forty two and twenty seven, completes sixty six percent of his passes, and has over a hundred pass touchdowns, only forty interceptions. So he protects the ball. You know he has a seventy seventy and a half quarterback QBR quarterback rating. That's you know that's pretty good. He has nine comebacks and fifteen game winning drives, and you know he does have a playoff win. He's one and two in the playoffs. In uh, our last quarterback, Tony Romo, played thirteen seasons. And uh, he only won two playoff games. So, I mean, in less than, in less than half the time, Dak got the half the amount of playoff wins that Tony Romo had. So, and they gave Tony Romo a big contract. And he was definitely an injury risk. Tony Romo had missed time with collarbones, back mm-hmm. ailments, and all that other stuff. Hey, but, hurt. <laughs> man, but Jerry Jones still paid him big money. Uh, at the time, for at the time it was big money. Uh, so, you know, I think Jerry, he got to do right by that. You know, Dak puts his career on the line uh, for the Cowboys. He's the epitome of a leader. He has all the intangibles. He's just like, he's a franchise quarterback. You know, when you think of franchise quarterback, I think most people kind of get it confused. You know, you don't have to be Patrick Mahomes to be a franchise quarterback. You know, Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers, you know, those are once-in-a-generation type guys. As a, as a franchise quarterback, you want him to be your leader. And you want him to be productive, and you, you know, and you want him to do, you know, what's right for the organization, and you want him to be, you know, a model for the organization. This, this only thing Dak Prescott has done from day one. Mm-hmm. So you know, you gotta, you gotta take care of him. Jerry Jones took care of everybody else, uh, but he hasn't taken care of this Dak Prescott, and I think he has to do that this offseason. Yeah, man. Uh, I definitely wish Dak a speedy recovery. Uh, I mean, he's been through a lot. He was, I believe, lost his mother in college. Uh, of course, just recently lost his brother. Uh, and now for this to happen, uh, he, you know, like I said, he's definitely been through a lot. Uh, but like you said, he's easily been one of the best quarterbacks in the league since really stepping in his rookie year as a fourth-round pick. I mean, he wasn't even supposed to be here. He was just, you know, going in training camp as a backup quarterback out of Mississippi State. Uh, and, I mean, here he is. Uh, I mean, even so far this year, he had been leading the league in passing yards, attempts, and completions. Uh, you know, like you said, Dak's been putting up points. The defense has just failed, y'all, I mean, on multiple occasions. Or, I mean, either there's also games where y'all just fall behind early. Uh, but I thought Dak definitely deserved a long-term contract. Uh, I hate that they couldn't come to terms this offseason, especially. The Cowboys are definitely obligated to take care of Dak now. It's just I don't know if they will. Um, Of course, they already franchise-tagged him this year. Um, and with this happening and the uncertainty of knowing the caliber of player that he'll be when he returns, 
uh, in the back of your mind, you do have to wonder whether or not they'll franchise tag him again next year. Uh, so, like I said, I definitely hope he can recover and at least get really close to the player that he was before this injury. Uh, and that, like you said, it was really unfortunate the way it happened. Uh, I still haven't even seen the injury yet, and I don't think I want to. So, <laughs> Looks a lot like Gordon Hayward's. Okay, yeah, and I watched that game live. So. Yeah, if you remember how that one looked, it looked a lot like that. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm, you know, Jerry Jones, you know, I'm, I'm not sure he will either. I hope so. I hope he will in good faith. Uh, but, you know, but then if you don't, then, you know, he just leaves for nothing. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I don't think NFL teams are in the business of letting players, you know, I think if Dak Prescott was healthy and you wanted to trade him, I, I don't know what kind of market he would have, but I'm sure it would generate, you know, a sizable return. So I don't think you want to just let him go for nothing. And it's not good business. If you if you want to talk football, that's not good business from a football standpoint. You know, owners typically don't do that unless it's a guy that's, you know, causing problems in the organization or, you know, is disgruntled. But Dak hasn't been disgruntled. Exactly. All Dak Prescott has done is go out there and play and ball out and get his heart. So, you know, hopefully, you know, the Cowboys organization does right by him. But we'll see. No doubt. Uh, uh, real quick, while I brought it up, uh, where do you think Le'Veon Bell should go? Personally, you know, I'm thinking either, you know, he wants to be a feature guy, mm-hmm. uh, which I understand him. That's what you paid him to be. And he's still – I think he's still got a lot left in the tank. You know, you look at his numbers and you're like, Le'Veon Bell finished, but he's not finished, bro. You know. The Jets O-line was terrible. They got, like, the worst offensive line in the league the last two years. And, you know, they don't have any weapons outside of him. Jamison Crowder is the number one receiver. On any good team, Jamison Crowder would probably be the third or fourth best receiver. No disrespect <laughs> to him, of course. You know, and I, I don't – and I, I can't – I don't know a tight end on their roster. So, you know, of course, it's easy to key in. It's easy all to stop. All 11 guys keying in, Olivia and Bill. <laughs> exactly. I don't care how good, talented of a running back you are. Like, Barry Sanders not going to eat – Eat behind that offensive line. Let's just keep it. Let's just keep it real here. Like, but I, I, I would say, I think the best fit with him would, for him would either be New England because you know Sony Michelle is on IR right now. New England, or I would like to see him go to Arizona because Arizona's been. I, I know I read somewhere that Arizona's been uh, upset about the way Kenyon Drake has performed. Kenyon Drake is averaging. Yeah. Kenyon Drake is averaging less than four yards a touch, not a carry. A touch, so that includes receiving receptions as well. They so got. <laughs> they can't be pleased they, with how he been playing. Uh, um, they got a little taste of fool's gold with him last year because yep. he closed out the second half of the season pretty good, but he definitely hasn't been the same player so far this year. But I like the. I didn't think about Arizona, but um, I was thinking either somewhere like Chicago. Now that they got some stability at quarterback with Nick Foles, uh, they're four and one. Uh, of course, they just beat the Bucks, and they've always had a good defense. Uh, and maybe I don't know, because I'm assuming wherever he goes, he's just gonna play out the rest of this season. So I don't know how long Nick Chubb is out in Cleveland, but 
I know, of course, they got a vastly improved offensive line. Uh, Kareem Hunt stays injured, too. And with Le'Veon Bell's playing style, I just feel wherever he goes, he's going to need a good offensive line because he dictates where he goes based off where they open up holes. And if they're not open up ho- opening holes, he can't go anywhere. So uh, I think Cleveland would be a good fit. That's a good fit as well. Quinn, let's move on to our last topic. And we're going to make this one a little quick because, you know, it's not, you know, it happened last week. My Los Angeles Lakers have won their 17th championship last Sunday. It ties the Boston Celtics for the most championships by a franchise. Quinn, you know, just, just discuss the significance of that championship for the Lakers. Man, well, I mean, I can't even explain the significance for the Lakers as a franchise. Uh, Of course, the first one since, you know, Kobe won with y'all back in 2010 uh, with him passing this year and them, uh, you know, attributing that championship to him, uh, that was pretty significant and, you know, Given the circumstances of just what's been happening this year, uh, the NBA finishing out in the bubble, I don't think this championship deserves an asterisk, just me personally. Because, uh, I mean, ultimately, you still got guys out there hooping. And if you a hooper, you going to hoop. Uh, and we saw that in the bubble with some of the guys that showed out. Uh, so you definitely can't discredit them for winning this championship in the bubble. Uh, it definitely keeps the GOAT debates alive for LeBron James. Uh, I've definitely seen the GOAT debates heating up even more now that he has a fourth championship. Uh, like I said, before the fourth championship, I thought he was the GOAT. Uh, so, I mean, this just cements that even more. And I can't explain how happy I am for Anthony Davis to finally get his first championship, all that losing he did in uh, New Orleans. Uh, And just kind of seeing the way with what LeBron and D-Wade, what they did in their relationship, how LeBron is passing the torch and doing that with Anthony Davis. Uh, I definitely expect Anthony Davis to kind of take that torch now and at least lead L.A. to one or two more championships. As a lifelong Los Angeles Lakers fan, admit the world, uh, especially doing it for Kobe. You know, like you said, he won our last our last championship back in 2010 uh, against our hated rival Boston Celtics in Game 7. You know, he led us, led the charge with Pau Gasol and Derek Fisher and, you know, Metal World Peace and, you know, Lamar Odom. Andrew Bynum, all those guys that, you know, it's been a while. You know, after that, you know, guys started getting injured and leaving. You know, it was pretty much Kobe for the last, you know, last three, four years of his career. And we all know how injured he was. Went from Achilles uh, to, you know, a shoulder tear, you know, broken bone under his kneecap. So, you know, we did a lot of losing. I remember watching a lot of games with Robert Sacre starting at center. I remember Jody Meeks. I remember Jody Meeks being our leading scorer. And our best player at one point in time. I remember, you know, Wesley Johnson, Xavier Henry starting games. And and I still watch games faithfully. You know, Ryan Kelly starting this month where I watch games faithfully. Uh, so, you know, it, it means the world. I appreciate, you know, I appreciate Magic Johnson, first of all. You know, I know this would have been possible without him. 
you know, and Jeannie Buss, I thank her. You know, Rob Palenka, I thank him for putting this, you know, help putting this thing together. And I, I want to thank LeBron and AD, too, and, and the rest of the team. You know, those guys sacrificed a lot uh, to win this championship. You know, the bubble, I'm sure it, it wasn't easy. You know, got a lot of those guys are married or have girlfriends and children. And so being away from your family, I know it got to be tough for that long. And so I thank them for weathering the storm, you know, being mentally tough and being able to handle it, you know. It means a lot for the city of Los Angeles. I mean, I'm not from Los Angeles, but I know it means a lot for the city, especially, you know, doing it for Kobe. So I, can, I can't thank them enough. No doubt about that, bro. Uh, but this next NBA season should be crazy, especially with everybody healthy now. I mean, we got the Nets. The Warriors are going to be back in the picture. Uh, Denver, they grew up the play, in the playoffs this year. Uh, the Heat have cemented themselves as a factor. Um, I mean, it's going to be crazy next year. You got D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns in Minnesota. They might sneak into the playoffs. <laughs> Come on now. I, you know, I, I mean, I like Big Cat. You know, Kentucky. You know, I'm a dire Kentucky fan. Been been repping since Jody Meeks is at Kentucky. But, bro, Cat, talented, but he's soft. I mean, let's keep it Man, Cat can hoop, though. Cat can hoop, but he's soft. He ain't got to be hard to get to the playoffs, Jimmy. He ain't got to be hard, but you ain't got to be soft either. Though. You act like I said he go in the championship. <laughs> nah, they – bro, who who they taking out? Who would they be taking out? Anybody. Who, who that was in the playoff picture this year that Thunder. Minnesota going to be better? Minnesota not going to be better than the Thunder. Not, if they get rid of Chris Paul, then okay. But exactly, listen, we don't know no. who the Thunder bringing back next year. Well, if Chris Paul come back, then it's a wrap, dog. Look, I, I just said, I said they could sneak into the playoffs. Jimmy. I don't, I don't even want to hear it. Ain't calm no cool. down, Jimmy. Ain't no cool, dog. <laughs> then I, I'd be surprised if they get in, but had decent help, man. He been playing with Andrew Wiggins. Cat hadn't helped himself much either, being a soft. Man, cat a bucket. You need toughness to win in this league. You need some mental toughness, and you need some physical toughness to win this league. And cat ain't got no mental or physical toughness. Demar Derozan didn't either, and he won sixty games in Toronto in the Eastern Conference, my guy. In the Eastern Conference, my yeah, guy. He, he still did it. I'm just telling you. And that was with LeBron. That was with LeBron. And that was with LeBron chilling in most of the postseason, chilling in most of the regular season, most of the time in Cleveland. Like, come on, exactly. And you only need regular season wins to get into the playoffs, all right? It's true. All right, then you just made my point. (laughs) Still, like I said, no, like no, no. Minnesota's not making the playoffs. I'm sorry. Look, okay, I just said they could sneak in. I I don't even, I don't even think it's a possibility, dog. I mean, yeah, because I don't even know who they're going to put around them. <laughs> exactly. Like, man, great show, Quinn. That's all we got for y'all today. We want to thank y'all for continuing to support us and, and listening. You know, like I said, you guys have our social media accounts. You know, hit us up. Give us some topic suggestions. You know, even argue with us about some sports things. You know, we, we, all, we open to it all. Uh, but we want to oh, thank y'all man. again. This is episode 29 of the First and Foremost Sports Podcast. I'm Jimmy Covington. And I am the one and only Quentin Douglas. Appreciate y'all and great show, bro.
All right. Thank you, man. And we out. Peace.